Well, I have some good news. My cold's going away. Don't clap yet, because now it's not coming out this way. It's just going down the back of my throat. So I'll be all, Ugh! and it'll sound even better than last week. So uh, my friends, Brett and Wendy, they, they gave this to me the other day. Because I like cookies. And who doesn't? You know, G- Jesus made cookies. So uh, what we are doing is next week, uh, you're, you're all, hopefully, uh, if you're into this, you're all going to bring a dozen cookies with you. We're going to hand out bags right now. And so sometime this week, hopefully, if, if you're in that mood, you know, maybe you talk to somebody, you can them doing it for you, maybe your mom will do it for you, I don't know. You know, uh, make a dozen cookies, bring them next week, and all morning, instead of like the food we have in the back, we're going to have cookies. If you burn them, call them chocolate. I brought the chocolate cookies this morning. Uh, as I don't know if you guys know that I, I actually try and get a lot of people to do a lot of stuff outside Element to help people. And I want to read this to you. There are four guys from Element that went and helped out this person, and they wrote this letter. And they said, uh, uh, age has taken its toll. My parts don't work very well anymore. I am gra- very grateful for your organization and all those that make it work. And your work has reinstated my faith and hope for my fellow man. reinstate the hope in Jesus too that's what we're... Uh, Christmas for kids is next week uh, this is probably the last week if you're here if you're going to give to that to put uh, money in the box to help these uh, less unfortunate kids so if this morning you're thinking oh I needed to give to Christmas for kids today's the day to do it throw it in there uh, and then lastly I have this big note it says do you has uh, uh, for Christmas Eve I need a freezer uh, I don't know if any of you have like a freezer you don't plug in and don't use, but maybe it sits in your garage. For like two days, I need a freezer for something we're doing on Christmas Eve. So if you have a freezer, don't raise your hand, okay? I want you to talk to Christy uh, in the back because she's taking care of this part of Christmas Eve services for me. We're not going to put like your kids in it or anything like that, okay? but, I, but I, I, need, I need a freezer. So if you have one, it's not plugged in, you're not using it, that we could use for that night. Hopefully it's one of the ones that sit on the ground, not an upright, but one that's kind of down here because we've got to put a bunch of stuff in it. And so, okay, there you go. That's all I got. Why don't you stand in the reading of God's Word? This is Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. And it says this, Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would understand the things that you call us to in our lives, especially in regard to stuff, and that we would understand that it's all yours and we lay it at your feet because you are a great and good God, and you know how that we are supposed to live with these things that you have given us. Thank you for being a God that has enabled us to steward the things that uh, you have placed in our hands. We just ask that we are good children with it. Amen. Have a seat. So, uh, we are doing a series on money that we're calling Stuff. Again, everybody's favorite thing to hear about in church, I know, so Merry Close to Christmas, that's what you get. Uh, The first four weeks, we went like this. The first week we talked about how everything is God's. The second week we talked about uh, work and that God works hard and God works well and God intends for you and I to also work hard and to work well. The third week we talked about saving and investing. And you're like, that's yes, these are all things in the Bible. When you talk about money, these are all things the Bible deals with. Saving and investing. In the fourth week, last week, we talked about how does that all work out in your church and then how you give and how does money relate to worship and, and all of that stuff. Uh, so, 
today we're actually doing something completely different uh, than, the, than the last two weeks. Uh, th- this week we're going to look at Jesus' teaching about stuff. Next week we're going to look at how the early church actually lived that out. But first, I gotta give you this disclaimer, okay? You gotta get the disclaimer because every time I talk about stuff like this, people run the wrong way with it. Uh, what we are talking about today is legitimate needs, legitimate needs, not lazy people that expect a handout. Uh, it, it, legitimate needs could be somebody looking for a job and trying to help their family, but they don't have one. It is not lazy people that don't want to work at all and just have their hands out all the time. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. I know the book you all love to study. All of, you're like, oh, Leviticus, that's my favorite. That's the one that puts me to sleep. It's like counting sheep. Uh, Leviticus is what's called one of the books of the Torah. Uh, the Torah are the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Uh, Torah translates as law or commands or decrees or more simply even the way. It's interesting, when Christianity first started, Christianity started to call itself also the way. Um, so anyway, this, the, the Torah, what it did is it outlined how to live in God's world, God's way. For the Jewish people, there, even all the way till today, there's still these discussions that go on about Torah and how to live out Torah in your life. Uh, many in Jesus' day actually had the entire Torah memorized. The first thing Jewish kids they would go to school and bet sefer, and they would actually start to memorize the Torah. So when you see Jesus th- say things like, you have heard it said, they would all say, oh yeah, I know that because I read that and you have it memorized. So most of them actually have the Torah memorized. First five books of the Bible. It's amazing. Amazing. So Leviticus 25, verse 10. This is what's called the year of Jubilee. I'm going to skip around, so just go with me here. Uh, first starts off and it says, Consecrate. That means set apart the 50th year and proclaim liberty through, throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a year of Jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. Verse 14. If you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy any from him, do not take advantage of each other. Verse 17. Do not take advantage of each other, for, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Verse 23. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and tenants. Again, everything is God's ultimately. And so everybody, they would have a piece of land and it would be passed from like grandpa to grandpa to grandpa. You would work it. That's how your family actually survived. You'd grow crops or you'd have animals on it and that's how you survive. And basically what it says is don't let anyone lose their family land. Every 50 years, all the family lands go back to the people from which they came. This is like for you and I saying every 50 years we're going to torch the MasterCard headquarters. They all go, yay! Every, every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. So if your family hit hard times, not because you keep buying things you can't afford and you keep going into debt or, you know, because a new car is not beyond your control, okay, but, but because something happens, some catastrophe happens in your family and in your life and you have to sell your family land. Every 50 years, everybody gets a fresh start. Everybody gets a fresh start. Central to this is don't take advantage of anyone. Now, it's hard to imagine this in the proper context because our society, everybody's a victim and everybody wants more and more and more and it's not my fault for putting all these things on my credit card and it's somebody else's because they gave me the money and, you know, that kind of thing. So here's the progression. Verse 25, if one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. So if someone is in debt, you as a fellow countryman step in, you help them out. Not only to not get into debt, but also to help them out. Verse 35, if one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. Do not take interest of any kind from him. The Hebrew rendering there 
is actually excessive interest. But fear your God so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. Uh, Verse 39, if one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. He is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the what? Year of Jubilee. Central to the Torah and the command of God was never to take advantage of anybody. When someone is down, you don't exploit them more and more and more. Even if they're stupid and they keep filling out the credit card applications, at some point you just say, sorry, we're done, we're not giving you any more money because you're crazy. Uh, There is never meant to be a large gap between people. Because of greed, God's intent was never to have this gap between people like that. So every 50 years, all land goes back to the families from which it came. Every 50 years, everybody gets a fresh start. Sounds very nice, right? Yes, it does. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Next still. Yes, this is all going to connect in just a minute. This is all my setup. You're you're going to love this, okay? The Torah is very practical. The Torah is about crops and land and debt and paychecks and savings and generosity and charging interest. It's all about living the way of God. So uh, Leviticus 19 verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. So God says, you know, leave some that's there for those who are poor. They've got to work for it. They've got to go and cut it. They don't just stand there and get a handout. They've got to go and cut it and take it home and cook it for their family and, and stuff like that. But you don't just give it to them. God always wants his people thinking about other people. Verse 13, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. A hired man, this is like a day laborer. They go and they work and they need the money that day so they can go get food for their family to make sure their family is taken care of. So you pay them that day. Verse 15 says, do not pervert justice. Verse 19 says, keep my decrees. Then it goes into all kinds of other stuff which requires some long explanations. But the Torah is very practical. About friends and neighbors and money and stuff and land and work and rest and sexuality and business and families. The way of God is about our entire life. Now turn to Luke chapter 19. Ah, New Testament. There we go. Okay. In, in Hebrew, there's actually no word for spiritual in Hebrew. Not a word for it. Because it, it makes that like that's something different from the rest of your life. If something is spiritual, that means something else is not spiritual. Everything to a Hebrew would have to do with God. That's the whole point of the Torah. You know, if, if an ancient Hebrew were here today and we said the common American phrase, your spiritual life, they would look at you like you're crazy. They wouldn't understand what you're talking about because it's not your spiritual life and your normal life. It's just your life, your paycheck and your work and your love and your family and your giving and your interest and everything. It all has to do with life with God. To get what Jesus says and a lot of things we're going to talk about today, you have to understand that this is how Jesus saw everything. Okay? Everything has to do with God. No Jew would ever ask, what does this have to do with God? Like, what would Jesus do? It'd be like, what wouldn't Jesus do? You know, everything has to do with God because everything comes down to being His in the end. We are His. And so they would obviously say, what doesn't this have to do with God? And so when Jesus is born, okay, there's a guy, his name, his name is Herod. And Herod rules everything in Israel. And he taxed the Israelites to build his houses and his palaces and all of his monuments to Rome. One historian actually says that a high-level delegation from Israel goes to Rome at one point claiming of Herod's tyranny that he has reduced the entire people to helpless poverty. Okay, so that's how bad it is. Herod ruled much of the time from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he also had these religious elite people that ruled with him. And they ran the temple. 
and they taxed the people to destitute poverty. The people around Galilee were farmers. They were barely eating at all. So there's massive poverty and famine, huge loss of family lands. Okay, it goes back to Torah and Leviticus. Uh, and then you had this group of religious ruling people who built bigger and bigger houses while other people starved. Current excavations in the area have actually found what would be equivalent to $20,000 bottles of wine that these elite people got to have. So they have a wealthy ruling class and they have everybody else. 80 to 90% of the population were involved in agriculture and they were taxed to the hilt and they were poor and a lot of them could not eat. Now, this might be a stretch for you, but, but imagine this, okay? 2,000 years ago, there were people in Jerusalem that had such wealth that 17 miles away in Jericho, they built summer homes. Oh, my. Wow! I mean, can you just imagine? That's crazy. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but when 80% to 90% of the people are starving, and you have these few people who are sticking their thumbs on top of everybody and taking from them so they can just get more and more wealthy, there's a problem with that. Um, Jericho is a place, it's, it, it, was a, it was a wilderness with a natural spring oasis. It's a very nice vacation spot. And so if you're one of these ruling elite, how do you think you get your money from these people? Because you're not going to walk there in your nice clothes and take it, right? You're going to charge taxes. You charge taxes. The, the word for taxes is the word talos. Okay? Talos is taxes. A person who collected taxes was called a talones. Okay? This is a tax collector or a tribute collector. If you are poor, everything is taken from you everything, how do you feel about these Talonis? You don't like them. Yes, because usually the Talonis, they're your own countrymen that, the, that Rome has come in and put in place and they take money from you and they get some money and they're doing okay while you're starving. They allow the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer so you don't like them. For, for a Jew who follows Torah, who loves the Torah, this extortion is not right. People are being taken advantage of. This is a violation of of what you hold dear in your life. A telonis, in this sense, is a violation of God. That doesn't mean if you get audited, you get to go to the IRS and say, you're a violation of God. Because one, you just get you thrown in jail. But two, it's, it's not even the same thing as what was actually taking place here. Okay, say so telonis is a violation of God. But above the telonis, there's this person called the archetelonis, who is considered the chief tax collector. Okay, the chief tax collector. And this person was hated because they sat at the center of a world that is completely falling apart. So Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay? Luke 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through because he's going to Jerusalem. A man there, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a what? Chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see him. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, a Jewish rabbi is going around and he's telling people to live the way of God, live the way of the Torah. Don't extort people. Give to those in need. And he comes to Jericho, and he sees a chief tax collector and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. A normal rabbi would never do this because tax collectors are evil and they're mean and they're violators of Torah. And yet Jesus says, I am going to come to your house. This means I'm going to come and eat with you. That means friendship. I'm going to come spend time with you today, which should make people go, huh? Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
Now, if you were poor, what do you think about this? Your mind jumps to conclusions. Oh, I thought Jesus was better than this. What is up with this? Oh my! And you, all of a sudden, we're running to all kinds of places that Jesus is just a horrible guy. Jesus, you know, you're supposed to be one of us. You're not supposed to hang out with them. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See how history makes us all kind of make a little more sense to you when you, when you read it? They're like, Jesus, you're making this worse and not better. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is actually a reference to Exodus 22, which is Torah. So it shows you that Zacchaeus actually knows Torah. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. This is one of the most powerful things a rabbi could say to somebody. It's like me saying to you, you are a child of God. That's what that kind of means. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's a reference to actually Ezekiel chapter 34, that this is what the Messiah would actually do. And what you now begin to see is that Jesus is not part of the problem. He goes into the town and he goes to the center of the problem. And Zacchaeus' response is, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus' response, today's salvation has come. What does Zacchaeus' salvation center around? His stuff. His stuff. I mean, is, is it about Zacchaeus, you know, believing the right things at that point? Is it about, you know, Zacchaeus memorizing the five points of Calvinism, you know, and having the right confession or catechism? No, he says, I'm going to give my stuff away. He says, I am going to live the way of God. And Jesus says, do you see this? Here and now salvation has come. It's also interesting that Jesus' name in Hebrew actually means salvation. So Jesus is making a play on words like, to salvation has come salvation because Jesus is... It's a, Jesus is being funny, but apparently for us it's not that funny. But whatever, okay. Uh, now, if you're rich and the system is built uh, around and to help you and your head tax getter or guy goes soft, what happens to your lifestyle? Starts to take a dive. Who sits at the heart of Jericho's monetary culture? The chief tax collector. And Jesus goes to him, to this guy. And if you are poor and the chief tax collector starts to follow the way of God, what does this mean for you? Woohoo! Yet things all of a sudden get better. This is political and financial and economic revolution. And if Jesus keeps spreading this message to people like Zacchaeus and they catch it and it spreads to their house, this whole class system is going to be set upon its head and turned upside down. And many scholars will argue this is one of the reasons that they wanted to kill Jesus. For many people, money is their God. And you don't mess with somebody's God at all. That's why I could ask you about anything in your life. You know, I could ask you about your relationship with your spouse, raising your kids, taking leadership, helping the hopeless, and loving the lost. I could talk to you about pornography and lust and anger. But as soon as I talk about money, people, oh, that's it. We're so out of here. They just want my money. And I, it's, it's so bizarre. I mean, I could ask you anything. But if I was to say, you know, uh, how much money is in your bank account? You'd be like... You're crazy. I wouldn't want you to ask me that either, by the way. I'm just saying, you know, because money's a tough thing. And so this is, this is one of the steps to Jesus' death because the religious officials will not let this type of thing continue. You will die before you turn this thing on its head. Now, salvation does. It is, it is Zacchaeus following Jesus. You know, it's his heart and his life. But in this instance, it's also about Zacchaeus' stuff because that is his God. And that is a thing that he had to give up. You know that Jesus talks about money and stuff three times more than he talks about love, seven times more than he talks about prayer, eight times more than he talks about belief. Turn to Luke chapter 12. 
Hopefully with the background, some of this will come alive to you a little bit. Jesus loves to tell extremely offensive stories, which I think is great. Uh, this, this parable in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16, actually starts with two guys, and they're arguing, arguing over an inheritance. Tell my brother to give me this money that he owes me. Uh, Luke 12, verse 16. It says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, in this setting with these people, 80 to 90% of people living in destitute poverty, what do you think the hearers thought the man with all this extra grain should do? Help! Torah, you know, help us out. We are starving. It's, it's not that they're lazy. They're working hard, but everything is taking, uh, taken away from them. What should I do? The Torah says share. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now you hear Jesus about Jesus' love and his grace and his mercy, but here Jesus talks about somebody doing something so terrible that they deserve to die right then and there. The only other instances I see about this are in uh, Matthew 18 where he talks about people that hurt children and in Luke 17 where you cause other people to sin. What does this guy do here that's so evil? Is he murdering people? No. It's someone who has more than they need while everybody is starving around them and he gets more added to his more and the response is not giving and sharing. The response is, I just need a bigger bank. That's what I need. It's like a double whammy. Not only does he store it more and more and ignore Torah while all these needs surround him, but then he says, I will take it easy, which is also a violation of Torah because God says you must work. God wants you to work hard and well. So he's hoarding and he's wasting his time. Jesus' teaching is giving, sharing God's blessing to everyone. This guy is hoarding everything and God says, you don't deserve to live. Boom. Boom. And Jesus gets even more ex- extreme later. You should really read the Bible. It's amazing. It's really cool stuff. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 16. You're like, wow. It, Jesus goes to town. Uh, the word hell is used in scripture 14 times. Once by Peter, once by James. 12 times by Jesus. Okay, half the time Jesus talks about a present reality that hell brings into our lives, and the other half he talks about things after death. In one parabolic instance, Jesus actually talks about one person who is in hell. Now, the point is not if this is a parable, is it not? How does this all work out? The point is what Jesus says in this parable. Luke 16, verse 19 says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, th- this means that this guy is, is so poor, he just lays it, and this rich guy doesn't care about anybody else around him, destitute poverty, okay? and this guy is outside his gate. Even the dogs, dogs are not man's best friend in this society. They're the lowest animals. Okay? It's like, they're like maggots. Okay? Even the dogs came and licked his sores. This means this guy is so poor, it is shameful. Uh, Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's a euphemism for paradise. Uh, The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. In case you wonder what hell is like, it's not like hanging out with your buddies or playing poker with Satan. It's, it's, It's not a good place. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. 
Now, it's not about rich and poor. It's about being a blessing. This is righteousness versus unrighteousness. His whole life, this guy eats his spiel. He just has to take the crumbs, you know, the things that you would scrape off your plate and throw in the garbage can and take those outside and give them to this guy who's starving to death right outside of his gate. But he cannot be bothered to help anybody. In agony, does he ask Abraham to come and help him? Abraham was a rich guy. He was a righteous rich guy. Does he ask the rich guy to come and help him? No, he still shows contempt for Lazarus and says, tell Lazarus to come and dip his finger in water and come and serve me. Have Lazarus serve me. Verse 25, Jesus' response through Abraham, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides this, between us and you is a great chasm, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Then they have this whole conversation about, well, tell, have somebody go talk to my family so they don't end up where I am. Verse 31, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses, and what are the books of Moses called? Torah. Okay? They have the Torah, the notes of Moses and the prophets. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Hint, hint, hint. Okay? That's, this is the only parable about an actual person in an actual hell. And what is, the, what is the setting? Someone refusing to be a blessing. Abundance and nothing. Right outside the gate and they will not help. That is hell. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, many of Jesus' teaching like this center around people who are greedy and those who refuse to give. Okay? It's an attitude of the heart because those who follow God, those who follow God, give their lives to Christ, will see the need and want to help that need in any way that we can. In any way that we can. Uh, somebody who was greedy and always wanted more in this culture was talked about as having an evil eye. An evil eye. This is always looking to get more and take more at the expense of other people. A generous person was uh, someone who had a good eye. And so do you have a good eye or a bad eye towards certain things around us? Um, a good eye. This is the word the Hebrews would use. They would call it ayin tovah. Ayin tovah. Uh, if, if you were... Uh, oh, it looks like an, it's, it's, it's an eye. Ayin tovah. Now, uh, in the book of Genesis, when God creates things and it says, uh, this is good, uh, that's the word tov. That's ayin tovah. Okay, so that's good. And then if someone had a bad eye, it was ayin raya. They had, they had a bad eye. Jesus uses this popular metaphor in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It goes like this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If you are generous, this will infect your entire life. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because everything is spiritual. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your stuff. If you have an ayin raya, a bad eye, it will affect everything in your life. If you have an ayin tovah, a good eye, it will affect everything in your life. Let me bring this down in a very practical way, the best I can. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I uh, went to visit her family in New Hampshire for Christmas. Uh, it, it snows in New Hampshire, so we fly into Boston, and we get off this plane, and we go to the baggage claim, and we grab our stuff, and, and we get our rental car, and we're out. Because if you've ever been to an airport, you just want out. That's how that works. So we, we, get, we drive, you know, it's like an hour, 15, 20 minutes to, to her aunt's house. We get to her aunt's house, uh, and you go in, you know, you want to take a shower because you got the plain scum off you because, you know, it just recycles everybody's germs through those things. And it just, ugh, it's, just, it's, like, it's like eating samples at Costco. Everybody breathes on them. It's terrible. I can't eat the samples at Costco because I'm crazy like that. Uh, so, so I get ready to go take a shower. I open this bag, and either, my, like, my underwear is stretched 20 sizes, or it's not my bag. <laughs> Which one do you think it was? Not my bag. 
Not my bag. Yeah, that's a, yeah. No, they didn't stretch. It was someone like, we're going to wrap this on the plane tire on the way. You know? Okay. It's not my, I grabbed the wrong bag. This is terrible. I can imagine the poor guy, you know, sitting at the conveyor belt going, with the one bag, going, it looks like mine, but it's not mine. Just watch it go around and around and around. So, you know, we call up. We're trying to get a hold of, you know, the airline and stuff. And it's like, you so see, going into the, the phone vortex, which is just, you know, like this side of hell. It's like, I'm just going around and around in circles. You know, you finally get a hold of somebody. And it's like, what happened to my stuff? You know, do you have it? And, and they're not really sure. And I'm freaking out. I'm irritated. I'm upset because, you know, I may have lost my, my T-shirt and my tennis shoes and my underwear, you know, you know, which are also very hard to replace. You know, oh, my goodness. And, and I'm freaking out. You know, so we grab it, this bag. We drive all the way back. And, then you, you know, you got that line of lost luggage people and, and you're they're the happiest people on earth just waiting to hear the gospel you know there's this one want to hear about Jesus Chris, what a, it's terrible right you're just oh my goodness where's my stuff oh it's terrible two years later uh, I'm watching the TV and, and it's Christmas time and all that you see this photo uh, of an island okay and it's December 26th and on December 25th it's like normal and December 26th it's like half covered in dirt and it's buried and you start seeing these videos uh, these people sitting on this beach, and a wave hits, and all of a sudden the beach is completely empty. Uh, and the bottom of the TV starts to say 50,000 dead, 60,000 dead, 100,000 people dead. And I'm like, and, I, and for some reason my mind works like this. I think back to my lost luggage and how I begin to freak out about this and maybe not getting exactly what I wanted for Christmas this year. And everything starts to come into a completely different perspective for me. Because it's easy to replace stuff, you know, even, even luggage, but not people. And in the grand scheme of things, really, why do we care so much about our stuff? We don't even realize how deep our connections are with our stuff until something wakes us up. Like the difference between me being mad about my luggage and all of a sudden all these people who died. And I'm not trying to trivialize what happened you know, over in Indonesia. But I'm just saying, all of a sudden something wakes you up from your ayin raya to your ayin tova and you begin to see everything how God intends you to see it. And you're like, oh my goodness. I need to wake up because things are so much different than I think. I mean, I, anybody ever had experience like that where all of a sudden somebody borrows something that comes back to you with a scratch on it? And you're like, oh, and it just starts to get underneath your skin and you want it. And you, and you start to go, why do I care so much? Why do I care so much? In Luke 19, Jesus charges into Jericho and the truth is so profound that Zacchaeus realizes he has connected more with his stuff than with his God. And he realizes that he has to get rid of much of his stuff because his stuff is his God. And when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, the connection with his stuff gets severed in this new light and new profound love of what Christ is going to do in his life. My wife and I, we are not wealthy people. Far from it. We're on the other side of the spectrum. But we still give a chunk of our income to Element and to other organizations because it helps us not to get so attached to our stuff. And sometimes it's very hard to actually do that. And we still do get attached to stuff, and I've got to take those things to Jesus all the time. But, you know, but Jesus is constantly taking and teaching me how to give more and more and more. Not because sometimes it's so fun, but because when I do that, it actually leads me into greater freedom. Because I become less attached to my stuff. It's not that God just wants your stuff or your money. God wants us to be people who live in freedom. With an ayin tova, a good eye. God wants us free. It is why I believe Jesus talks about money so harshly and so strongly and so much. Because we become connected with our stuff in an unhealthy way that is God-like worship. I mean, we don't even know how connected we are to our stuff until our neighbor backs into it or your kid breaks it or your dog scratches it and now only nine of ten songs play right and, you know, and we go berserk. And really, why? Why do we do that? 
I, don't raise your hand, but you ever have a fracture in a relationship because of money? You ever get jealous of somebody else? You know, maybe they've got like a, a, a new car and you just need a muffler and you're like, oh, and you're a little irritated. And Jesus wants us free. He wants us free. You know, it's larger than just us. Because, yes, it is about our money and our stuff and about Jesus, but it's also about everyone else. Because when Zacchaeus gets set free, who benefits? Everybody. Everybody. I was talking to my friend Mikey about this, and he goes, not the rich people. <laughs> and, and I said, and I, well, in a way, they actually did. Because they then had to learn how to live with a little bit less. And they had to be drawn into greater freedom and greater financial responsibility as well. When we get set free, it should affect everyone around us. Everyone around us. It should not be about building bigger barns, although saving and investing is very important. You know, It should be about the guy that's right outside our gate that just needs some scraps. And so we look at ways to help. Maybe you're somebody, and, and somebody else owes you some money. And this debt is just owning you. It takes up headspace. And you're always the, oh, this guy, this is so terrible. Maybe for you, maybe you need to let that go. Is there anything that, that you own that actually owns you? And you think about it all the time. We've got to ask ourselves how much headspace and heart space do certain things take up in our life that become unhealthy and learn to focus on the things that God gives that produce gratitude and appreciation and joy and then what things produce tension and guilt and weight. Because Jesus invites all people into freedom to live in freedom and to let go of all these things that consume us and our checkbooks and our neighborhoods and our carpools and our cars and our streets and our real estate and simply trust Him as our God and make Him the focus of our lives. Now, every week, I bring you to this place of communion because communion is this meal that Jesus invites us to to share with Him. You take that cracker and you break it, which represents His body, which was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which represents His blood that was shed for us. And just as Jesus invites Zacchaeus to a meal, he also invites you and I to a meal every single week, every single day of your life. Where we come and we say, you know what? I've been living for the wrong things. I have been so consumed with my stuff that I have forgot to live the way of God. And I must live the way of God. And when you say that, it's just like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come because you follow the way of God. So you drop your stuff and embrace your God that loves you more than you can ever imagine. So we are going to worship God. The band's going to come up. And they're going to do a couple songs. Uh, and, and as they do, you know, take a couple moments before you take communion you know, and ask God some questions like, you know, what owns me? And then what needs to own me? I, you know, we're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if something is owning you in your life and you need prayer, go pray with them. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, something does own your life and it's not Him. And so go pray with them. They'd love to introduce you to who Jesus is. But more importantly, sit there and ask God, Sir, what owns me? What do I have to get rid of so I can live the way of God? We're going to worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall and in the very back and we give because God gave so much to us and giving is part of our worship and helps us not become so connected with our stuff. And we're going to worship God through fellowship. Uh, somebody brought, looks like some really yummy bread back there. So you guys, and you guys can just get together and get to know each other. And again, if you guys are in a small group of some sort or some close friends, ask your friends today. Maybe at lunch or doing something, you know, what owns you? What owns you?
Because that's a hard question to really be truthful about when you answer. But if you can answer truthfully, it's, that will start to lead you into some freedom. Trust Jesus with your life, not your stuff. Because your stuff's going to break and dent and go away. And Jesus is eternal and he will always be here and lead you in a new life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would make us a people with a good eye towards the things that you long us to long for us to live within. That we would be a people who are generous and that generosity would infect our entire lives. That we understand and, and can balance that line between saving and investing and work and giving. That you would make us a people who fully trust you. People who are not interested in trying to build bigger and bigger barns, but people who are interested in living in your kingdom and making your name great. Father, we ask that you, even the people in our lives that uh, we may have overlooked, you know, those who are uh, sit right outside our gates and just need a little love, a little hope, a little compassion, that you would open our eyes to those people. And you would have us to begin to live the way of God. Have us truly be your people. Because we want to be. We want to be. Sometimes th- things cloud our vision. And we get this, I am But we ask today, through the grace of your spirit, you would give us an I am tovah. And that we would see what you want us to see. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen. Thank you.